0: Both Barley and Niffler need high-powered dog food to help them out in the field. Whenever I live somewhere with refrigeration, I love feeding them Nom Nom Now. Niffler can be a slow and picky eater, and he actually dances and whines when he knows Nom Nom Now is coming out of the fridge, and then licks the bowl clean. Nom Nom's food is full of fresh proteins that your dog loves, and the vitamins and nutrients they need to thrive. You can actually see proteins and vegetables like beef, chicken, pork, peas, carrots, kale, and more. When you sign up for Nom Nom Now, you share information on your dog's age, breed, weight, allergies, food preferences, and, importantly, their activity level. Then they'll tailor specially made blends and serving sizes to your dogs, which are delivered in a huge, exciting, refrigerated box. If you're ready to make the switch to fresh, you can order Nom Nom Now today by going to zen.ai slash canine conservationists one and use the offer code canine conservationists all one word to get 50 off your first order plus free shipping so again that is zen slash canine conservationists number one and use the offer code canine conservationists at checkout you'll get 50 off and of course nom nom comes with a money money back guarantee If your dog's tail isn't wagging within 30 days, Nom Nom will refund your first order. No fillers, no nonsense, just Nom Nom.
1: This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your
0: Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Hello and welcome to the Canine Conservationists podcast where we're positively obsessed with conservation detection dogs. Join us every week to discuss detection training, canine welfare, conservation biology, and everything in between. I'm Kayla Fratt, one of the co-founders of Canine Conservationists, where we train dogs to detect data for land managers, researchers, agencies, and NGOs. So today, I'm here talking to Pine Irwin about safety and preparation for safety for our dogs in the field. This is kicking off another series um, that we're going to be doing on the show where we're going to be talking about tick-borne diseases, giardia, algae blooms, snake bites, snake aversion, or avoidance, um, all sorts of good stuff. So Pine and I are going to be starting out with kind of how to research where you're going, how to pack your bag appropriately, and kind of preparedness. This is like our, our Canine Conservationist Prepper episode. Um, so Pine, why don't you jump in? Um, I know you've been on the show before, but tell people a little bit about where you're from, what you do, and uh, yeah, maybe the dogs you share your life with.
1: Oh. Hi, Kayla. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. My name is Pine Irwin. I'm a certified uh, trainer and behavior consultant based out of Boise, Idaho. Well, Meridian, Idaho suburb. Um, I uh, work primarily with behavior cases these days, but I also train dogs for the trail for backpacking, camping, kayaking, mountain biking. If you can do it with a dog in the outdoors, I do it. Um, I love doing that. It's one of my favorite things. Um, so that's kind of the focus of my my training for skill set um side of what i do and then the other side of what i do is i work with aggression cases and behavior cases and things like that so and i share my dog, my life with four dogs uh three rescue dogs and a purebred english shepherd um my rescue dogs include a formerly feral res dog as well who, if you follow me on any social media, you see some of her antics.
0: Yeah, she's, uh, she's entertaining, we'll we'll say that. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, why don't we start out with the kind of before you go. So as you're starting to research where you're going, what are some of the things that you're thinking about as far as kind of planning for a safe excursion? And I'll jump in if there's any other ideas that I have that you've missed.
1: So the first thing I like to do is figure out where water is going to be accessible, um, whether or not water, water is going to be accessible, no matter where I'm headed. Water is probably, especially this time of year. Cause we're,
0: we're mm-hmm.
1: here in Idaho. It's dead of summer. It's, 98 plus degrees most days. So I always really want to be cognizant about water. Water is something that's super important for me. Um, access to water for the dogs. So that's like step one. <laughs> um, yeah. is, is there water access in this area? And then from there, I like to try to pick my trails based on what is my expected distance? What's my expected time? What's my expected elevation gain and loss? And then again, you know is trail a in this area got good access to water that will probably be the trail i would select over trail b unless it was you know other factors so Mm -hmm. um and then it just becomes like where do i want to go okay this is the area i want to go and then i start pulling maps Um, all trails is a great resource but i actually really like onyx Mm -hmm. Um, and i use onyx in conjunction with all trails or I have a friend who works for the BLM, so sometimes I piggyback off of her, um, her, her government-issued uh, satellite map reading applications. Um, I'll piggyback off of those, but I like to cross-reference Onyx with all trails. Um, where I'm at, there's a lot of BLM land, but there's also a lot of private land that you want to be kind of careful. If you're walking through private land, to be mindful of that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I think for me, maybe because I'm going potentially even farther afield than you are. Um, yeah. One of the first things I'm thinking about, um, I guess the first thing, which isn't necessarily always the most important, but the first thing I like to ask about are other animals that I might need to be worried about in a particular area. So this is where I'm asking our project partners, hey, are there free range cattle around here? Um, do we have rattlesnakes? Do we have bison? Do we have grizzly bears? Um, <laughs> you know, when we were going down to Guatemala earlier this year, it's kind of like, so you know, peccaries, jaguars, are we worried about any of those guys, you know, like, because everyone asks, you know, when you say that you're going to go search for jaguar poop, people are asking if you're scared of the jaguars. And, you know, my first response was always kind of like, oh, no, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. (laughs) You know, and then that's when I, you know, I start asking the project partners, like, hey, you know, I know it's really unlikely that we see them, but what are the risks you know do we know anything about how they tend to interact with dogs Um, and that came really into play when we were in kenya where we learned from our projects partners with action for cheetahs in kenya that elephants will target dogs and are particularly aggressive towards dogs so those are really good things to know and that's where you know for us in our line of work talking to the locals and talking to our projects partners is really important um So like our recent California project, they were like, yeah, you know, the rattlesnakes are out. We've seen a fair few. They seem to pretty much hang out along the fence line and particularly around gates. I was like, okay, cool. That's good to know. We'll be extra careful in those areas. You know, we're obviously always careful with snakes. We have a very healthy respect for snakes. But really kind of getting the lay of the land with predators um, or, you know, venomous or other hazardous animals is one of the first things Then from there, um, you know, asking questions about the climate and other hazards. Um, Sometimes our project partners will offer information like, you know, telling us that the foxtails have been really bad this season or something like that. But we're also kind of constantly adding things to our list of questions that we'll ask them. Because, you know, we were lucky in California that they knew to tell us that the foxtails were bad. But sometimes people don't know. Um, So I see you you nodding. Why don't you jump in with anything else that's come to Um, you?
1: Well, we live in foxtail and cheatgrass central and it's an invasive mm-hmm. species and it takes over and it spreads like wildfire um and it is a thing that we have to like when i'm leading you know when i'm leading hikes with new people who are moving here you know it's something we have to tell them about but just say yeah. hey check their feet you know this that and the other thing i have worked with several people who've actually resorted to using the out fox hoods they work great mm-hmm. by the way they're incredible Cause they had dogs who would chew on the grass and stuff and then swallow cheek grass or foxtails. And then now we have a whole new set of problems. Um, you know, it's stuff like that. And it's, it's difficult. It can be difficult because locals don't necessarily, if we're, if I'm traveling to a different state, the locals don't necessarily know to tell me to look out for things because to them, it's just like, of course, of course you would look out for that. Um, so I, you know, even I sometimes like it goes, people will ask me like, well, what about bears? And I'm like, well, what about them? Like, <laughs> they're like, aren't you worried? And I was like, not really. You know, we're not going so high up that we need to worry about the grizzly bears. There's only black bears in this area and they typically leave us alone, you know, and all this other stuff. But for somebody who's new to an area, who's never had to deal with anything like that, it can be really challenging for them to know how to handle it. So talking to somebody who is is really, experienced in the outdoors in that area is a good question. Um, my number one tip and advice for people about, cause we do have rattlesnakes here. Um, we have timber rattlers, which are fairly non-aggressive unless you really start, Step unless you them. really kind of come in contact. Yeah. They don't like, they don't attack from the bushes. You know, they're usually only right. a, really a problem if you get right up in their business, but we do have them here. People ask me like, well, what do you do? What do you do? Because of course the question comes up about avoidance training and things like that. And I have very strong opinions about that. Um, and that it's not terribly reliable and very harmful. Um, you know, I tell them just know what you're expecting to face and know where, the. problem wildlife and problem fauna. And because of where I live, we also have problem geology. Um, We have hot springs that come up in certain areas. We have, you know, really nasty shale and scree fields to cross in certain areas. We have cliff faces and others. Like, know where those problems are. Um, If, you know, to anybody who's listening, who's thinking like, well, I want to take a backpacking trip through Colorado, go to well, probably not your local library if you're not from Colorado get on Amazon um or a local bookshop and have them order you books about the area for hiking yeah. and things like that um you know and then of course you know Kayla's in another country um when I lived in Belize we only saw one jaguar and really mm-hmm. didn't even see the jaguar we just saw the eyes at night while we were caving looking for bats oh. so
0: yeah yeah we um, saw one um and it crossed the road uh or across the trail you know couple hundred meters down from us I was rewarding Niffler and actually threw the ball at the Jaguar um (laughs) before I saw it (laughs) um it was uh luckily totally fine uh Niffler and the Jaguar did not come into contact in any way and it kind of looked at us and then you know disappeared it was not interested um yeah I think I you know weather um you know, I'm always checking the weather, particularly when I'm looking at places that I've never been before. I'm not great about checking the weather when I live somewhere because I have this false belief that if I can look out my window now, I can guess how it's going to be in a week. And that's obviously not true. But at least in when you're familiar with an area, you broadly know more or less what to expect next week Um even if you're not checking the weather, you know people are just people. You absorb it through osmosis. People saying it's going to be really hot next week, or the heat yeah. bubble is going to break next week. But and when that's... we were prepping for California, I had never been to Santa Barbara, and I was like, "How hot's it going to be? When does it get hot?" You know. And they were like, "Oh, the marine layer doesn't really burn off till noon." And I was like, "Oh, okay, great. That's good to know." Like uh, again, I could have and did check the weather, but it was also just nice to talk to the locals and have them say. Yeah, you know, it's it's mid to Southern California, but it's still not the temperatures are not something you need to worry about the way that I kind of thought that we might.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's that's so important. Yeah. Like locally, when I'm hiking in my local region, you kind of know like what the weather or what the weather pattern predictability is. You know, like I, yeah. I kind of know here it's, we're approaching August. It's just hot. It sucks. It's hot. It's hot every day. hot every night it's just hot but like when i was traveling through like when i was doing my last trip down into utah we actually i had planned to hike through some of the canyon lands but i hadn't realized that it was planning to rain that week and of course i can't like reschedule my whole trip because like my whole life was arranged around taking the trip during this time right so but i definitely had to make sure that i just didn't go during those days because the flash flooding is a real problem there in the canyons. totally Um, you know, and it rained while I was there. And so it was just like, well, scratch that, we'll do something else. So knowing your weather pattern is really important, particularly if you're planning on being out for multiple days, or if Mm -hmm. you're in an area where there are flash flood warnings, or if, you know, like if you're hiking out in the desert and it's planning, you know, and it drops 30, 40 degrees at night, that's a real problem. Even if you're not planning to be overnight, if you for some reason end up out there overnight, not being prepared for that, you know, so just always know where you're going, what you're doing, and you don't have to have the whole plan, um, you know, but those who plan tend to do better off. Um, If you ever watch any of those, I love to watch those disaster shows like oh, I barely yeah. got out alive or whatever. It's like a guilty pleasure. Um, and my mom used to watch them a lot and then call me in hysterics because she thought I was going to die out <sighs> in the wilderness because I always take off. I'm just like, I'm going, I'll see ya. I'll be back. Um, but, you know, the biggest consistent thing about being able to survive when everything goes awry is having a plan and knowing mm-hmm. where you're at and what you're doing. And the people who don't have those things end up in a lot of trouble.
0: Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. No
1: Know where you're headed, know when you're headed, know when you're going to be back or when you expect to be back Um, so that, you know, your friends and family do know when to call. Um,
0: yep. to yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just did that last night. I'm here in Oaxaca, Mexico, and I, I was going out dancing and I am luckily staying with an Airbnb host. Um, Like they actually live here. And I was like, hey, I'm going to this bar. I don't expect to be out super late. I'm not going to I don't know exactly when to be back, but like I'm not planning on not coming home tonight. So. Yeah. Just just you've got that info now. And I think that's, you know, maybe the last thing that we'll do is we will look up um, a local vet, a local emergency vet, local ER and have those things ready for our bigger projects. That's not something I do for like my average hikes. Maybe I should for backpacking trips. But when we're kind of going for official work we do pull out those, uh, you know, make sure we've got that printed out and in our binders or take a screenshot and have it on our phones. And we actually did. We ended up needing to go to the emergency vet um, when we were in California to get a foxtail out of Scotty's nose, um, which was something that really bummed me out because we had done the the outfox training and had gotten him used to working in the outfox. And then I didn't put it on him because it was a very heavy sagebrush area and it didn't look like it was going... It didn't look like it was going to be a problem. And, you know, clearly it was. I have a, Um, I have a trick for
1: that. Ooh, Um, Tell me you can do. Well, you, it's not the most positive experience, but in an emergency um, you kind of waterboard them a little bit basically, and you get the water up their nose. And I typically just fill a container and stick it in there. And when they get the water up their nose, they snort really heavily and it lubricates mm-hmm. the nostrils. And it, as long as the cheek grass hasn't gotten too far back, it can
0: sneeze it out at that point. So what so we tried, catch and we'll get into this. And it, yeah, because we actually did. we we So we tried this and we're not successful, partially because of some handling stuff that Scotty has. And yeah. he's not my dog. So um, my relationship with him wasn't quite strong enough to push this. But I have a little, um, it's almost like a, a condiment container sort of thing. It's like a condiment squeeze container. And it's full of lube. <laughs> Yeah. Um, And the idea is that, yeah, you can squeeze that up their nose, it'll lubricate and they'll be able to snort it out. And we we had two biologists plus myself on him. Um, And these are carnivore biologists who have, you know, like radio collared bears. Um, And we were not we did not feel like we were going to be able to get that up his nose. We tried for a couple minutes. We did a couple attempts and we were not able to get it up. Um, And it was kind of like, okay, you know what? It's yeah. not my dog. I don't want to ruin his association with me, with the work, with anything else. We'll just go and get him sedated and get it taken out. But that is, um, and we'll get into this now very shortly. But one of the things I've always carried in my emergency pack, and I've always been like, I wonder if this works, um, is that that little container of lube. I've heard coconut oil also works well. Um, yeah. yeah, but we-, uh, we were not because of some handling stuff. We weren't quite. We weren't able to to see whether or not that was going to work
1: yeah i I won't tell you that the water trick always works. We've always had it work pretty well um mm-hmm. but it's definitely something to at least try and then, so do you, you
0: kind know, of like have, so you've got the, a bowl of water and you actually yeah. are you actually like holding their head in until they kind of inhale or then... or
1: holding it against their muzzle. Yeah. Yeah. Until they they're mm. kind of like fighting it. Too. We want to get that Body water up yeah. there a little bit. And it's 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 not fun. And I don't no. like doing it. No, Of course. And not. obviously this is an emergency situation. Typically, I personally have never had a dog get a foxtail. Um, anywhere convenient in which I am twenty minutes from the vet. Okay, <laughs> like, right. It's always it's always when we're like two miles out from the car at the very earliest, and the car is still two hours from the vet. You know, so we're vet, looking yeah. at like a three hour experience getting that thing further and further up the nose. So it's always just kind of an emergency, um, but it works pretty well. We've had it work. M- the two or three yeah. times we've done it, we've had to do it. Yeah, that's but really because
0: yeah. I wonder if we would have been able to get something like that. Um, getting the, you know, trying to yeah. it's like the it's like the the same thing as like what you would do for a Bordetella vaccine, but trying to yeah. insert that up his nose was just not um, not working. And I think I would have been able to get it done with either of my dogs. But
1: yeah, yeah, like I could probably do that with my three domestic dogs. I don't think Nye would. Allow me to do that. Yeah.
0: Um, or we might get yeah. one. And again, for and Scotty, there one. was, we know he's got, he's had some handling stuff. That was one of the things that came to us, him, that he came to us yeah. with. And we've only had him on the program for like three months. Yeah. And handling again was already, that was his kind of biggest weak point. So it was once we tried a couple of times, it's like, nope, let's just, we'll go it get can him be sedated. It's
1: really tough to overcome handling related trauma in their early experiences. Yeah. Um, like, Like that's always, that's always with the rescue. Um, For those who don't know, I sit on the board of a local rescue and we do, I'm I'm their behavior consultant. And that's always the hard one for us when we pull these dogs um, that they often need a lot of vetting and handling and very often grooming. And we don't always have the option to do it as slow and as softly as we like. At this point, it's medically necessary to get all this stuff done. And so that always is like, it's a catch 22. And it it's is. hard it's to overcome really hard. That when they're really young and they have kind of handling or a lack of handling. Yeah. Um, right.
0: Yeah. And we had made quite a bit of progress. I was really happy with his progress as far as like letting me do tick checks and letting me do foxtail checks. Um, he came around on that really quickly. So that was part of it too. I was like, oh God, I really don't want to like send us backwards on all of this now Yeah. by really, really fighting him on this. And also when you're like. You've got one person trying to hold a muzzle closed, another person trying to shove lube up their nose. Like, it's, it's a really bite risk.
1: Yeah, yeah. Really intense. A, yeah, because we, we can't muzzle them for that either, you know, because we... Nope. we we That's the area we need to access. Thank you. Yep. Um, box so. sales are tough. Yeah. So that does, yeah. you know, know what you're... Know what you're expected. And then, of course, you know, like Kayla said, having a bottle of lube or a plan of attack when things do go sideways because they're dogs and they get into stuff. Totally. Um, Nyche tried to eat a dead porcupine a month or so (laughs) ago. And she got porcupine quills all over. And you want to talk about some handling stuff. Here's a little dog who's. She's pretty comfortable with me helping handling her, but this was a two man job. You know, someone's got to handle her, and then someone's got to pull porcupine quills out of her tongue and her lips. Thankfully, oh, that was the only places they were. Um, we're pretty sure it was she found a dead one and tried to eat it. That's really her like mo her thing. of things, because um, it it wasn't anywhere else on her person. And you know, she just kind of popped up, and it was an area where I would not have anticipated a porcupine being. Um, yeah. Like it's not, it's not their ideal habitat. So what it was doing there, I don't know. It was dead. Um, But it was pretty intense trying to get her calm, get her steady. And so I restrained her and a friend of mine stuck on a set of work gloves and grabbed a pair of pliers out of the Jeep (sighs) and just basically waited for her to stand there panting and then just yanked them out just like one at a (sighs) time. Like it was. Yeah.
0: It was yeah, scary. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, okay. So is there anything else that you do before you go? We're, we're both working without notes here. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, so if
1: we're all over the map. We're sorry. Um, yeah,
0: that's
1: okay. Yeah. So pre pre planning, I always kind of try to, I personally make sure that I know where I'm headed, like what, what area I'm going to, even if I'm not a hundred percent certain, what trails I'm going to do. Um, mm-hmm. so if I'm just heading out to go hiking, um, where I happen to live, we have very good access to hiking trails very close. Um, I I can go less than an hour and hit some really good trails. I go a little bit further out. I'm not, it's not uncommon this time of year for me to travel two or three hours just to go hiking for the day. So I try to make sure I know what area I'm doing and then kind of have an idea about, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to be here I'm going to ideally my home time will be X. You know, um, I always tell my partner where I'm headed and what time roughly I expect to be home. If that changes, I try to make sure that there's a way for me to get a message to him that says, yeah, so like the car broke down and I'll be home in like six hours. I'm not dead. Don't worry. Um, Not dead yet. (laughs) Not dead yet. I try to make sure, I always make sure I know what my water access is and I always make sure, um, you know, just for the dogs. So if I know I have to carry extra or more, I have large enough dogs that they carry their own water. Thank you. Um, and you know, things like that. So before that's like, before I even step out the door, those are like my basic things that are covered. Make sure I have a hard copy map of the area, even if it's not a detailed map of the specific locations that I'm going, Make sure I always have a topographic map with me you know, and then I think we're going to get into like what specifically is in my backpack. But those are kind of like my pre checklist is I know what my water access is. I know what I'm expected in the weather. I kind of have an idea about when the sun's going down. So if I am doing a longer trail, a a 12, 15 mile trail and like, yeah, if it runs, if I slow down or if the terrain gets bad or the trail gets kind of, you know, I mean, sometimes I'm in areas where the trail has not been maintained in a decade. (laughs) Yeah. Um. You know, and what I would expect to be covering ground at X amount of speed slows way the heck down because now I'm suddenly jumping over logs and climbing over brush. Um, You know, I try to make sure that I know when about the sun's going to get down so that if I'm out there and I'm like, maybe we should head back, (laughs) you know, Yeah. Um, you know, I always carry a light source, but sometimes, you know, I'm not expected to be out until after dark. Then I need to make sure and be cognizant of the people who are expecting to hear from me at home and not leave them in the dark wondering. And it should go without saying, but always tell somebody where you're going and when you're expected to be back. Always. Yeah. Yes. Even if it's Um, just a Facebook friend and you just message them on Facebook, hey, I'm doing mm -hmm. this and I'm going to be home then. Just let them know.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. I, so before we get into what we keep on our person, I want to zoom back out a little bit more. Do you have any trainings or courses or online resources or anything like that, that you um, really enjoy? I know I have a little bit of a list of things that I, that's kind of constantly growing of places I either keep an eye on or I use intermittently or courses that I stay up to date on.
1: Um, I usually, I try to, Ken Ramirez has that new program about snake Snake We're recording an episode training.
0: with him tomorrow. Oh, and sh-
1: oh. I want to just go to the ranch and take this course um, and figure out a way to bring it here. Cause we desperately need it in this area. Um, the, the other way of teaching snake avoidance is very popular um, and not effective. Um, <laughs> Cause if it was, it would not be needed to be repeated all the time, but, uh, but I try to keep an eye on. So whatever, the newest avoidance stuff is i also try to keep an eye on what defenders of wildlife are doing and what the research programs in the area are kind of doing um that's just for my personal benefit but also because i do happen to be hiking through areas in which there are free range cattle um which mm-hmm. again that's something you're funny because you mentioned that and i'm just like oh yeah you should probably you're know everywhere. that but i always know that because i happen to have grown up here in this region, I know that the free range cows are out there, um, you know, and things like that. Um, I like Tromplo has, um, Tromplo is, has some really good programs coming out. Um, I personally, I have a recall course and then I always kind of monitor what you're, what you've got posted. (laughs) I check K on conservationists and I'm like, do they have a, you know, is there a new course? Is there a new podcast? That's like specifically, and I listened obviously I listened to you, Um, but there's like, I I will specifically bookmark certain episodes when there's something like very niche that I'm interested in and focusing on. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, you know, there's, there's the usual dog savvy people, online courses and things like that. Um, in another life, I'll become more tech savvy and build. I, I would love to have a specific online educational resource that's just geared yeah. towards dogs having adventures in the outdoors, hiking and biking and whatever. And it's, um, but it's going to require me to either become radically more familiar with the technology, or get Hiring more time someone. in the day. Yeah, hire yeah. someone to do it. Yeah. Neither. Yeah. Hey, of was a reality right now.
0: No. Nope. Nope. Yeah. So I know for me, I've I've kept my wilderness first responder up to dates now for like 11 years. So that's human yeah. based. Um, but it is the thing I really like about it is um, so I did that and I've also done EMT. My EMT has lapsed because woofer wilderness first responder is much more focused on what do you have in your backpack and what do you make work based on this? And also kind of specific injuries that you're likely to run into in the wilderness versus my EMT class. A lot of it was like when and how to administer oxygen and I don't carry oxygen. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. most of, most amulet stuff um, is not relevant for my day to day. Um, So w- wilderness first responder is something I really highly recommend. And, you know, it, It's not dog specific, but a lot of the, particularly the trauma side of things, um, you know, if you know how to splint a bone, you know how to splint a bone. Um, You know, obviously it's, (laughs) you still need to go to a vet. You still need to go to the ER when you get back. But, you know, learning how to stop a bleed um, is important no matter what species. Um, And then I've also done Montana, um, Humane Society Western Montana used to host a trap release workshop. Yes. Um, that I've found very useful. I've never had my dogs run into a bear or leg like, hold trap or snare, but it makes me feel a little bit better knowing that I know how to open those, even though those are absolutely terrifying nightmare situations, even knowing, uh, like, honestly, the course almost scared me more than not knowing. <laughs> um, So those are probably my big ones. And then I'm also a member of the National Veterinary Snake Bite Support Group or something like that on Facebook. I'll link them and people will post active snake bites in there. And then vets are the only people who are allowed to respond and they will respond with protocols, with information on the nearest antivenin, those sorts of things. Um, And I have learned so much just from like kind of following people, um, going through these, you know, obviously really horrible experiences for them. Um, but they also have, they occasionally will share around PDFs with like specific protocols and like decision trees and those sorts of things. So I've been bookmarking a lot of those to print out and keep in my, my safety binder. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. I know that 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 our, our local big 24 hour emergency and specialty clinic, um, I don't know if they've done it since the pandemic, but pre-pandemic every year used to do a CPR certification class for specifically dogs and cats, um, which I strongly recommend you, I mean, at the very least familiarize yourself with how to give CPR to a dog. Um, I do have that certification and I I did Mm -hmm. have a wilderness first responder for many, many years and I've kind of let it lapse. Um,
0: It's expensive. And if you're not guiding, like it's Yeah.
1: I, I'm not doing a, as much guiding as I used to, and I've, I, you know, I'm not doing professional guiding anymore. It's yeah. Like, I've got my my hiking with dogs organization club, and we just kind of go out together, and um, we don't go as far as we used to, just because I just don't have that kind of time anymore. But yeah, yeah, it's useful to know, um, and at the very least, a, a, a CPR class and a first aid class, um, for humans would be really beneficial because there's a lot of overlap. Um, yeah. And knowing what to do when, if, and when things go sideways is probably one of the best ways to feel confident in the wilderness that you just, you're like, okay, I know how to deal with it. We do have locally here, our fish and game partners with the local trapping club, and they do every Every fall, early fall, they do a thing out at the park where the trappers come in and they talk and they give like demos on how to release their traps and stuff for anybody who wants to know. Yeah. Um, they oh, also, that's great. they also will give you like a handout about the areas where they will be trapping so that, you know, that going in so that if I know if I'm hiking through this area at this time of year, there are traps possibly out there and I can keep the dogs really close. Yeah, um,
0: that's huge.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's, you know, networking, fishing game, BLM, uh, your local ranger stations. They will give you so much information so for free. So much information. Because they do yeah. not want to come and find you. Um, nope. they do not want to try to rescue you. So they will give you maps. They will give you, they will give you handouts. They will give you contact information. They will give you just stacks and stacks of information. If you, you ask for it, you can just yeah. roll up into their office and be like, Hey, I'm going to be hiking here. Can I have a map? And they will just hand you maps. Um, yeah. cause they just, they don't want to come and get you if you get into trouble. So they will hand you any information they can possibly give you.
0: Yeah, they're a huge resource and should be should be utilized. Yeah. yeah, I think the only other thing that I... And I don't do this before every single trip, obviously, but I try to refresh myself. And I'm thinking now that I should um, have this as a little laminated thing in my backpack, which medications... In my backpack, I can give to dogs and at what dosages I try, you know, like you can't give dogs NSAIDs, you can't give your dog ibuprofen, but you can give them Benadryl and like what is the dosage appropriate for that and those sorts of things. So if you're carrying meds with you, make sure you actually know (laughs) which meds are appropriate for your dogs and at what dosages because um, I realized this um, a couple months ago, I've always carried around hydrogen peroxide um, in the case of needing to make a dog vomit And um, then Niffler licked a cane toad, which can be deadly. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to figure out if I needed to make him throw up and was looking at the hydrogen peroxide and realizing, I don't actually know exactly how I waterboard this successfully into his mouth to make him throw up. Um, And it turned out that actually um, just sticking a a hose in his mouth and rinsing him out and kind of getting his gums and teeth really clean was all he needed. um, And he was fine. Uh, And now he's on leash after dark in the tropics always because he has proven that he will actually seek out cane toads repeatedly. Um, He's licked cane toads now three or four times uh, (laughs) and then gets really stoned and really drooly. And like I know that it is a potentially deadly thing. So now he's just on a six foot leash and tethered to the van after dark. Um, But anyway, all of that to say, if you are carrying medications, know (laughs) which ones your dogs can use and uh, how to use them.
1: And if you have questions about those things, your veterinarian can help you Um, because there are certain, with like Benadryl and hydrogen peroxide, the the ratios are pretty standard across the board, but there Mm -hmm. are certain um, drugs in which your dog might be taking other medication that there could be contraindication and you want to make sure you know that. So if you're carrying something, whether it's prescription or over the counter, um, just chat with your vet. Most vets, you know, will be able to tell you right off the top of your bat, like, oh, yeah, no, your dog takes X drugs. So you really can't give them X, Um, you know, if you've got a dog who's taking certain types of pain medication, certain other types of pain medication, you absolutely can't give them in that moment. Um, I'm trying to think of the ones that I'm thinking of, but like. If your dog takes an NSAID on a regular basis, you can't A, give them a different NSAID, or B, give them something like Galaprant or um, certain other types of drugs will, you know, they can do more harm than good in that moment. So um, for anybody who's listening, the standard dose for Benadryl is one milligram per pound. Um, Just FYI, Benadryl is really useful and and, a very difficult to, to harm your dog, giving them to them. And it's definitely one you should have in your backpack. And we're going to talk about that.
0: Yeah. So I think let's get into it. So I divided up my, um, my kind of readiness pack in three levels. Um, so I've got my, on my person. So I have like a fanny pack that I always have with me and this, and I'm just going through what I carry in it safety wise. It also includes like poop bags and treats and rewards and those sorts of things. And like, we're not going to get into that. Um, so I've got my on my person, um, and that is always, always on me. And then I've got my in my backpack, which is just um, if I'm going more than like a mile or so from the car, because if I'm, if I'm within 15 minutes of the car, or so I'm just not going to carry my backpack. And that's like when we're on the wind farms, you're doing 100 meter by 100 meter squares. I'm not going to bother carrying my my giant first aid kit and water with me. We'll just get water every time we go back to the car. Um, And then I also put down stuff that I carry with me in the car and then realize that I actually don't have much that I leave in the car. um, And I might be adjusting that as we talk. But so Pine, I don't know if you have the same system or why don't you kind of start out with the things that like you always have with you, you always have on your person and then we'll kind of move down the line and we'll, we'll cross reference between the two of us.
1: Yeah, obviously, I always carry poop bags. I'm a responsible dog owner. Plus, they're useful. Um, They're just useful if you've got to touch something weird. Um, They're just really nice to have. I always have the poop bags. I usually have um, like wet wipes, like disinfectant wipes, in my like treat pouch. So I carry like a fanny pack, and obviously, I keep reinforcers in there, um, whatever the reinforcers are that are best suited to the environment or to the dogs that I am working with. Um, I usually carry. That stuff, there's usually wet wipes. Um, like I said, the alcohol Cloroxy ones that are, Yeah. Being, I mean, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't use them as toilet paper, but you can wipe your hands or clean off an injury, things like that. That's always, no matter what, I have dogs who are working dogs. I have dogs who are just, you know, well-trained, well-accomplished demo dogs, competition dogs, and I still carry my reinforcers with me every time I'm uh-huh. out there. I gotta be the coolest thing in the environment, and I just can't compete that well with a skunk um without a little bit of help,
0: yep, <laughs> so that's in
1: that, and then I carry what's in my backpack, and much like you, if I'm going out for like a really short hike, it's local. I know this trail well, I'm super familiar, or I'm just, um, I'm out with the, I, I work a lot with the BLM and we go out and we do surveys, stuff, and go and find random things that we're looking for in the universe. Not quite to the degree that you do it with as much scientific precision, mostly it just involves my friend and I wandering through the desert going, "aha, we found it. (laughs) <laughs> um, this is very, this is not scientific at all. Um, but you know, if I'm just doing that and we're just going to be wandering out from the car and we'll be coming back and most of that stuff's going to stay within sight. Yeah. I tend not to carry my backpack cause it's heavy and yeah. it's hot <laughs> this time of year. Um, sometimes if we're doing that, I'll just stick water in the dog's backpacks and they can, they can haul stuff and I'll just suffer go. until we get back. And then I've got what, I carry my backpack which is a very long and detailed list. It's much heavier than most, I think most people's backpack is going to be if you're not hiking out there with dogs or small children. Um, And then I've got what I carry in my car and I, my Jeep is outfitted as an overland vehicle. So there's quite a bit in there that's useful, but specifically towards the dogs. um, I just, there's very few things that just stay there. They're just mostly. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I've pretty much, I would say three tiers, but yeah, my, um, my fanny pack of, of dog snacks, poop bags, and wet wipes, uh, is always, always on my person. Um, and I'll typically, I might, there's usually like a little blister pack of Benadryl, um, child Benadryl that the kind that's in the capsules, um, so that I can like break it open and smear it on some gums, um, in a desperate Mm -hmm. emergency. But typically if I'm not carrying my, my full first aid kit, which is in the backpack, um, you know, I'm close enough to the car that we can hopefully get back before there's a real problem. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, I know. So in my, on my person list, I've got the, my GPS and GPS collar, obviously the collar is actually on the dog Um, cell phone. And I always make sure that it's fully charged. So my cell phone is, I charge it overnight and then I just habitually plug it in whenever I'm driving. So I always get where I'm going. Um, with a fully charged phone. And I'm pretty crazy about that. I, if my phone gets below like 50%, I'm anxious. Um, I have friends whose like phones die on them like three times a week and I don't know how they do it. Um, And then I have a little um, quarter Ziploc bag that that stays in my training bag. And that includes styptic powder. Um, So that's like a quick stop um, for torn toenails. I assume you could also put it on other bloody things to kind of aid in clotting, but it's mostly a toenail thing. Um, tweezers and trauma shears um, mostly I use the trauma shears for dealing with really bad burrs for barley if he gets like nasty nasty burrs kind of up in his like armpit hair in particular and they're just really uncomfortable I'll cut them out um, and the trauma shears are nice because they're they're flat on the bottom so you can kind of put that against the skin and cut without cutting the skin um, the tweezers uh, obviously ticks, foxtails, all sorts of stuff use them all the time and then a flea comb I have a really nice little Um, I'll try to find a link for it in the show notes, but it's uh, like a folding flea comb. And then one half is wider toothed and the other half is narrower toothed. So I can use the narrow toothed one for Niffler and the wider toothed one for barley to again, get foxtails out um, or ticks. Um, Not always, but obviously depending on where I'm going, I carry bear spray um, and that I clip to like the, the, I'm, I'm palming where it is uh, like on my backpack strap. So it's like right yeah. on, on my chest, kind of shoulder area. Um, and I, you practice with the bear spray, taking it out, getting the safety off. Um, I don't spray it cause it's expensive, but I do, you know, practice pulling it out of wherever you have it and getting that safety off and like pointing it the direct, the correct direction a couple times. times. Um, there are also at national parks and some universities, you can like sign up to practice with bear spray. Um, I also carry citronella spray that is in my pack Um, and I use that in the case of off-leash aggressive dogs um, because I'm not going to bear spray, you know, your average feral dog. Um, And then on the dogs, the dogs always have, they've got their GPS collar, they've got a bell and they've got a visibility vest. So, and those are kind of the standard things we do have, um, I'll, we'll talk about booties later, but we do yeah. often have booties around, but they don't generally work with booties on. And I think those are kind of like my basic things that I always have on me. Canine Conservationists is thrilled to offer a self-study online class for those interested in joining the field of conservation dog professionals. This course includes 18 modules of video lecture, assigned reading, homework, and quizzes. We have lectures from 10 amazing guest instructors, including Fostering Motivation and Joy through High placement Training with Laura Holder of Conservation Dogs Collective, Safety Training and Assessments of Dog Teams with guests Fiona Jackson and Tracy Litton of Skyless Ecology, Special Considerations for Insect and Plant Training Samples with Arden Blumenthal of the New York, New Jersey Trail Conference, and Building Networks and Acquiring Clients with Paul Bunker. Our alumni group is active and supportive, and we welcome students of all levels and backgrounds. The course is priced at $750, with generous financial aid and discounts available for Patreon members. Learn more and sign up at canineconservationist.org class.
1: Yeah, I also carry a pocket knife, so I don't typically carry shears. That's yeah. a really good idea, that because I have my trauma shears and my like big verse my first aid kit. Um, but I always carry like a very sharp pocket knife of decent quality. It doesn't have to be like a two hundred dollars Bear Grylls special, um, <laughs> but it needs to be. It needs to be a real pocket knife, and that's always like in my pocket yeah. because they're useful. You can cut all kinds of stuff. Um, cut out burrs nature whatever you need to do cut string Um, it's just you should just carry a knife it's just really handy yeah through an airport yep Um, yeah and I always forget about that because it's just in my pocket it's just something it's just there it's just there always I always have the pocket knife and it doesn't you know it's not necessarily something I put in my pocket specifically for hiking it's just kind of my out the door I slide the pocket knife I'm always hanging around dogs it's useful to have some way to cut rope cut a leash cut fishing line whatever you need
0: yeah there were definitely a couple of things once we get to the backpack that i've had to kind of i keep writing things down as we're talking because so i'm like oh yeah. right yeah because that just lives in the bottom of my backpack like i've just yeah forgotten that i always yeah like my me.
1: bear spray i don't even mention i don't even think i we talked about bear spray but i don't even think about it because it, it just lives in my backpack yeah and, then and I, I think it's something if, if you bar, live in the
0: inner mountain west that's how it is for us. Yeah. There's, but if there's you don't live in the inner Mountain West, yeah. like,
1: yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: There's, yeah. There's a story that I've seen on, um, uh, about Nash, uh, Yellowstone National Park. And I don't know for sure if this is true, but it's a story of a ranger, um, seeing someone about to bear spray their family because they thought that it was bug repellent and the ranger trying to talk the guy out of it and the person doing it anyway yeah um, and spraying their whole family so like people don't know what bear spray is i was talking to a guy from new zealand at one point he was like what so like he thought it was mosquito repellent yeah for bears and I was like no 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 no. this is something to spray in their face yeah if they're bothering you or you've bothered them either way we need a separation
1: yeah, yeah this <laughs> um, is this is the i am not tasty i am very spicy
0: oh yeah i'm a very very spicy person i have a habanero
1: part pepper please don't chew on me get away um, yeah, 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 I don't Not even think about bear spray because it it just lives um, – for me, it's usually on my – I usually pull it out when I'm in bear country, and I know I'm going to be in bear country, and I know there's a, high, there's a higher probability of it. It just – it lives on the hip belt of my backpack. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I, I have practiced. It's a little like pretending you're a gunslinger, you know, wearing <laughs> it out and, and being comfortable holding it there, the yeah. bear spray. I, you know, usually – that's something I carry in the car is usually bug spray and stuff for me. And I just hit myself, mm-hmm. you know, or uh, when
0: I'm going to head out. But Ooh, yeah, that's actually two other things I always keep on my person, which is chapstick and sunscreen. Yes. Like Everybody's I'm obviously like not sunscreen. going to die without either of those things, which I think is something important to say. Like there are things in this list where it's like, yeah, these are things that you are using in like a real emergency. Like you do not want to be caught without these things. And there's some, you know, it's like even cyptic, styptic powder. It's like, I could be totally fine. Like even if the dog, they're going to bleed a lot. They're going to be, um, it's uncomfortable, but it's not like a life-saving thing. Um, And that's, you know, sunscreen the chapstick fall into that category. But for me, like I'm out enough that it's worth the extra weight, but it is, it's a difference between like, this is, we're not really talking about your like ultra light, super trauma kit where it would be like a tourniquet and a couple other things. Like, yeah. We're talking, you know, you're trying to make sure that you're comfortable and safe. You're not this is not just life-saving stuff that we're yeah. talking about. Yet.
1: Yeah, like you should carry bug spray or or at the very least have it in your car um mm-hmm. just because nobody enjoys getting covered in mosquito bites and definitely yeah. I don't do t- I don't do ticks um at all. I have a zero tolerance policy for ticks on my person, so I'm very aggressive with the spray on my stuff, but sunscreen and chapstick you know, especially since you should reapply sunscreen on a consistent basis, um, you're just going to be a lot more comfortable, which will make your experience better. Um, Those things. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of us, like we need
0: to be ready to go back to work the next day. So
1: exactly. And nobody wants to go back to work when they're covered in blisters from the sun. Um, It sucks. (laughs) And also skin cancer is really bad.
0: Yeah. so Do not want. Yeah. So yeah, let's get into what do you have in your, your bigger backpack?
1: So my backpack. um, So I had a backpack, uh, like a 28 liter backpack for 100 years, not really that long, but it was felt like that. It was like my go-to backpack and it was this cheesy Bear Grylls backpack I bought off of REI Outlet for like $20 and it was the greatest backpack and then it died. And since then I have upgraded to a 30 liter and that is my standard day pack. I don't carry one of those little tiny ones. Um, because of what I carry in there and most of what I carry in there for emergencies is actually geared more towards my dogs than it is for myself. Um, I don't know why I seem to think that they are much more, well, that's, I mean, I, Nike is much more accident prone than I am, but I just worry more about them than I do myself. Um, so most of what's in there. So we're going to have our first aid kit, which we can definitely go over what's in my first aid kit. Cause I beef it up a little bit for day hiking. So if I'm planning to be out for the day, I'm planning to be out, you know, 15 miles, 20 miles, whatever the, my mileage is going to be. Um, when I'm backpacking, of course, everything is going to be a little bit different because now I have to add sleeping and food. Um, you should carry snacks anyways, though. So for day hiking, I've got my first aid kit. Um, my first aid kit is beefed up a little bit. I add some extra stuff like Benadryl. I always carry carprofen or Rimadyl or some and sad typical anti-inflammatory plane reliever for the dogs, the same as I would carry ibuprofen for myself. I typically carry extra doses of something like famotidine, which is an anti-acid antiacid. Um, it's just a for humans because heartburn sucks, um, but I carry it for the dogs for the same reason. Um, just if I start to notice if we've got a little tummy trouble, I'll give them that, and then it's time to head home because. Um, like, what did you eat? Um, you know, you want to head back. Yeah. I carry that. I carry. I carry dog booties. I carry at least one booty for each dog size foot. So if I'm traveling with two different dogs who have two different sized feet, I carry at least at least one dog shoe for that specific size. So when I'm out with mm-hmm. all four of my dogs, I've got like five different types of shoes because they naturally can't have the same size feet. That no, would be of course way too not. convenient. I have found <clears throat> over the years, very rarely have I ever needed more than one. Um, in yeah. the one case and the two, two circumstances in which I can say I would have needed two. It's the same dog. Um, it's two different experiences. And I think that was just a case of that dog's feet just weren't tough enough for the road. We yeah. were on, oh. For the conditions we were on. Um, So I teach you know, nothing stops a hike faster than a paw injury. So carry the, carry the booty. Um, I usually add in um, a a feminine hygiene pad. Um, A, if you're hiking with people who are female-bodied, it's just nice to have. But B, I actually use it as a cushion on injured feet and I wrap the foot in it. Oh, that's nice. Um, Yeah, it just creates a little padding. (laughs) And it's there... They're, yeah, and they'll, you know, if you're worried about... They're individually wrapped. Yeah, Yeah, they've
0: got adhesive. Oh, that's really smart. I like that. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I mean, if your foot hurts, you don't want to necessarily walk. And usually a paw injury like that, if the boots are necessary because of an injury, it's time to go home. But home may not necessarily be you may still have to finish your hike. If I'm doing a loop or something, it may be faster to keep going or versus turning around and things like that. You know?
0: Yeah. You could be seven miles out. You could be more. Yeah,
1: Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we, we will be heading home, but we might, (laughs) we should probably get there. So we want to keep them. Yeah. We're not in a
0: situation where we're calling a helicopter. So we do have to walk.
1: Yeah. We got to walk out guys. So here we go. Um, or at least walk to a road if you're hiking with other people and then they can go back to the car and you can, which I've done. I have, I have carried a dog. Um, it was the dog with the two injured feet. I carried that dog cross country (laughs) to a road. And then I, and the dog wasn't my dog sat there and made everybody else go get the vehicles and come back. Cause I carried, I fireman carried out a 72 pound dog (laughs) Um,
0: this is why when people ask me why I don't have German Shepherds um, yeah. or like about breed selection, this is part of why I'm so, you know, we were just talking before we hit record about labs and I'm like, yeah, smaller labs, sure. But I, I am five foot two people. I guess people mostly know my voice. so They don't know this. I am like, I'm five foot two. I'm like 130 ish pounds um, and I'm sturdy, but like, I'm not carrying out a 70 pound dog if I can avoid it, let alone a 90 pounds dog. Like,
1: yeah. Yeah I, yeah. I used to get asked that a lot. My, my female lab is 85 and my male lab um, before he passed with, in his prime was about a 90 pound dog. They're huge. And yeah. I'm five foot two. Um, I'm not 130 pounds, but you know, um, <laughs> um, I'm definitely not that small, but I'm not, I'm not big. And my, my big lab. Yeah. They I mean, at some up, point the
0: height matters more than, there, than how much as weigh, tall as anyway. I am. It, like, you know, yeah. they're
1: as tall as I am. And so um, I carried out my female lab when she was seven months old after <sighs> a snake bite. I carried her. Um, Uh And it was 70, she weighed 71 pounds at that point. Mm -hmm. And that was pretty much, that sealed the deal for me. I was like, we're done with giant dogs. Like my big guy, if he'd ever been injured, it was going to take minimum of two of us plus a Travoy to get him out. Like, and he's 90 Mm -hmm. pounds. Like I can lift him into the back of a vehicle. I I buck hay, but I can't carry him several miles.
0: Yeah. There's a difference between being able to lift and being able to carry for sure. Yeah,
1: exactly. So yeah, I mean, that is one of the reasons that I, also downsized um, my dogs um, because yeah it gets tough so you want to make sure so speaking of carrying dogs that's also in my backpack is a canine litter um, nice it's yep. basically it's a little sling that your dog turns them into a backpack um, which yep. for my ninety pound lab wasn't gonna matter because his legs would still be dangling on the ground <laughs> at that point but. You know it's really nice to have my my two current dogs that hike with me all the time i um after out of the out of the four I have the two are older and then the two are younger the two who are always with me they weigh about forty five pounds each. I can quite easily turn them into a little backpack it's got little straps that hook around my shoulders and I can just carry them out. I'm probably gonna leave my backpack wherever we are um but I can carry them out and that is really important to have in your bag if you are hiking with dogs like i Unless you have a five-pound Chihuahua, um, you know anything yeah. over about thirty pounds, you should even even twenty-five pounds gets really heavy after a few miles. Um, yeah, you should. Well, have a I mean, even energy. I'm just
0: thinking my cat, who's yeah, like what eight pounds, it, it would just be nice to have. He just needs to be contained because, yeah. especially if he was in pain, unless he's really really bad, I yeah. would need I would need to help just kind of keeping him from squirreling out of my arms.
1: Yeah, exactly. So it's really important. Um, that is something that is in my backpack no matter what, um, it does not matter where we're going. It does not how long we're going. I could be going two miles up a mountain road, you know, and we're never going to really lose sight of the vehicle. If I am far enough out, it's in my backpack. Um, it also is, you know, it's just one of those things I carry always. Um, it's like tossing in my first aid kit and my flashlight, just always in the backpack. Um, so, yes, on top of that, a flashlight. I usually carry a flashlight of some sort. If I've if, if got my cell phone, that often works. But I usually have a headlamp as well. Yeah. Because um, I don't want to kill my cell phone battery. I, too, am paranoid about that. Um, I keep my cell phone fully charged before we leave. And I have a battery pack that is in my, my um, backpack that I can just plug my phone into in an emergency to get enough juice to hopefully send a signal if something were to go sideways. Yeah. I carry a headlamp. Um, just cause if you are out after dark, um, but also the headlamps are really nice if the, if you're in a shaded area and you need to really look at a dog's foot, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I will use we shown the on.
0: headlamp up uh up Scotty's nose when we were trying to yeah, see if we could see I do it, the foxtail.
1: Yeah, checking for foxtails between the toes. I'll put the headlamp on even though we're sitting in the car. And I put the headlamp on so I can see really well between those toes and check and pull those suckers out of there. Um, it's just nice to have the extra light, especially if you know you know you're gonna be out in an area. Um I keep in my emergency kit, I have a blankets like one of those it's basic
0: foil blanket the little, like space blanket things yeah. yeah
1: a little space blanket and a little um I carry an extra one too to make a shelter um so for that if I'm going to be out anytime where I have any sort of inkling that the weather could be change on me or if I'm up a mountain um and I'm definitely out of cell ring signal and I'm you know things like that I usually carry a uh, rain jacket as well and yeah. I, you know, just stuff, I usually just keep it stuffed in the same place as the rain fly for my backpack to keep it dry. Because um, nothing sucks more than being cold and wet. Um, yeah, really and it can be dangerous. And it can, you can get hypothermia, you can become, you know, which can cause all kinds of disorientation, which can mean you get more lost than you were originally. I always carry a way to start fire. Mm-hmm. Um, always Always a way to start fire because fire can do things like purify water. And then I typically carry a water purifier of some kind. A life straw is usually sufficient for most circumstances, unless you're really, really, really remote. I personally like the mini Sawyer better than the life straw That's because I, I can fill the bladder and then drain it. Whereas the life straw, you really kind of just—it's like a straw that you can drink through. Yeah. Um, but in an emergency, it is better than to have than not um Mm -hmm. some way to filter water for me i don't worry about it for my dogs Um, they're pretty good if we can find a good water source they'll be okay but you also can become dehydrated humans um and that creates a whole host of problems so make sure you have a way to purify water one way or another um yeah and i don't typically use the sterilites because i'm always paranoid they're gonna break
0: yeah so (laughs) All right, so yeah, I've got my list, and I think what I'm I'm already thinking I'm gonna make sure we turn this whole thing into a blog post as well with just lists, and we'll have um, Amazon links and everything like that for people. So if you're listening, don't try don't crash your car trying to take notes. Just go to canineconservationist.org and find the show notes. Um, so I've got mine um, for in my backpack. I also always carry a fire starter. I usually carry two. I carry flint and steel and a lighter. Yep. Um, I like flint and steel, it makes me feel cool. And also that if my lighter runs out of juice or gets wet or whatever, I've got a backup. Um, I also, so I did a survival TV show a couple of years ago now and have definitely gotten a little bit more interested in a lot of the bushcraft and like prepping sort of stuff. As part of that, it was fun and cool and uh, it was nice to feel that self-sufficient. So some of these things have come about from that. This is in no particular order because I've been like scribbling badly in the margins as we're talking. So I've got my fire starter, I've got layers. I am, um, I have had frostbite in my fingers enough times from being a competitive cross country skier in high school that um, I get frostbite um, and stuff very, very easily in my hands. So I almost always have hand warmers and gloves, plus um, you know a couple different types of layers, and that includes a rain jacket. And that you know is specifically what all of those are is going to vary based on my climate if I am above treeline in Colorado it might be a down jacket a fleece and a rain jacket and hat and gloves um you know obviously in Guatemala it was a rain jacket and that was it um because even overnight that's really all we're worried about um I carry antibiotic cream um hydrogen peroxide gauze benadryl vet wrap a pack-a-paw rescue harness so I think that's very similar to the litter you were talking about yeah um rimadil or carprofen I now carry antivenin with me. I was able to purchase antivenin from a veterinarian in Costa Rica for a hundred dollars. Um, Ooh. yeah. Nice. And it's really nice. Um, it, I might, you might, it might not be enough. Um, and it's the sort of thing that like, if we need it, we're still going directly to the vet as fast as we can, but it does make me feel better to have that, particularly when we were in Guatemala. That was the reason I acquired it was, you know, we were going, we were potentially, a six to eight hour boat ride away from the highway, let alone a vet, let alone a vet with anti-venom. Um we were really, really out there. Um I carry zip ties, those are for trap release. Um so big heavy duty zip ties. Wire cutters also for getting a snare off of your dog's neck. Um and they're kind of a they're a specific type of wire cutter that it's kind of like crescent shaped so you can like kind of dig into the this not dig into the flesh but like really get under that, um, that snare. If you had a snare around your dog's neck, um, a light, I carry steri strips. So those are really good for closing wounds on people. Probably wouldn't be very useful on dogs because of hair. Um, but they're nice to have if, if you've had, if you've got a big open wound on yourself to kind of close it. Um, I've also used army ants for that, which was one of the most exciting, uh, periods of my life ever. Um, you can army ants have these huge pinchers. Um, and if you, let them bite a wound and then pinch off their head. They will stay clamped down. And when I was in um, Ecuador in 2014, a friend sliced his thumb really badly, and we, we did the, the army ant thing. And our uh, our Waurani guides were very proud of us, and <laughs> we were very proud of ourselves.
1: I always but carry scary strips
0: glue. are better. Go ahead.
1: I always carry super glue.
0: Super um, glue. Oh, that's just, brilliant. Yes.
1: Yeah. Well, when I was in the jungle. Um yep. we were I was in Belize. I was a 45 minute helicopter ride from anything resembling a doctor. Anything was never mind getting to a place where the helicopter could actually get me. Um right. You know. <laughs> and that was that was 45 minutes to, you know, like a local clinic kind of thing and I yeah. I gashed open my hand my thumb or my finger and I still have the scar. It's a long time ago. I'm not going to say how long yeah. ago because it makes me feel old. <laughs> I still have the scar on my finger. And I, I mean, I, it was deep. So we literally just cleaned it out, um, closed it with super glue and wrapped it with gauze and duct tape.
0: Yep. And, yeah. Know, just, yeah. Um, yeah. So super yeah, glue. Either- yeah, glow. Cool. I've got hydration powder. Um, so something like an electrolyte power. Um, I keep a uh, Theraflu with me as well. Again, that's like one of those yeah. things. That, like, I'm not going to die if I don't have it, but one of these days, it's going to be really nice that I have it. I'm going to be glad. Yeah, I um, usually
1: carry. Um, I usually carry something with electrolytes or like um, shot blocks or goo. Yeah, have you mm-hmm. like? GU. It's a great product. It's They come in little tiny packs. You just rip them off and suck them down. And it's a great um, electrolyte, carbohydrate, sugar salt. boost, yep. salter, salt boost for anyone who's out there a really long time or longer than you expected, or you start to have somebody you know who's getting a little lightheaded because they're a little too hungry. Um, and I yep. usually carry something for the dogs. Um, dogs can drink standard Gatorade, not the sugar light stuff, the full... Full Gatorade, the stuff yeah. that's chock full of sugar, as much sugar as it does anything else, you can dilute that in water and they can drink that. Um, so carrying some of those, you've just got to really check those to make sure they don't have the sucralose or yeah. xylitol or aspartame or any of those kind of um, pretend sugars in them.
0: But yeah, I've got snacks written down. Um, and if like... This isn't something that lives in my pack, but something like string cheese can be really nice because then it works for both of us. I'm vegetarian, yeah. so jerky doesn't work, but if you eat me, yeah. jerky's a really good one. Um, something I don't carry currently, but I just wrote down because I want to start carrying bullion cubes. Um,
1: I have a product for that that I just ooh. found.
0: It's Ooh, fantastic. Tell us.
1: It is a powdered bone broth for dogs. And yes. I found Yeah, it. that's what I, found I was thinking.
0: It. Like something like that.
1: And it comes in little tiny packets that's like individual. And I carry that, um, especially since like I've got one dog who's really fussy and he's kind of he's like, oh my gosh, it's not chicken nuggets. I'm not interested. Um, I carry that for him because I can sprinkle it in their water and it encourages them to drink a little bit more. Yes, but it that's also exactly what I was thinking. All that. that you know, the the salty benefits of electrolytes and it's for dogs specifically, I'll try to remi- remind me and I'll send you the link so you can put great. It in thank you.
0: Um,
1: and they come in little individual packets. And it's really nice to have. Yeah, snacks are important. Like, yeah, I, I don't I don't care who you are. If you're going to be morale. out there. Really time, it's good for morale. And it's good when your blood sugar starts to dip and you're feeling really tired, having something to boost that energy for both you and your dog when I'm on longer trips, I usually carry, um, they're made by Plato, I think, but they're like little on the go dog meal bars. I always think of them as like doggy Mm, cliff bars,
0: like a little Cliff Um, bar for a dog.
1: Yeah. I carry those for longer. Like if I'm going to eat lunch, if my plan is to be out there eating lunch, I carry something for my dogs as well. Um, same. And the, one of the reasons I don't, I I'm a vegetarian also, so I don't eat meat. Um, any longer so i will carry but i will carry like little meat sticks for the dogs the ones for dogs are probably better for them than the human ones even though the human ones are easier to come by um just yeah. because of the salt content yeah
0: but you can make your own dehydrated num nums that's yes that's what yes I but you used should to do carry back when i had a dehydrator snacks.
1: Yeah, yeah, dogs get yeah, low, I, blood sugar the same as we do.
0: <laughs> I thought – I I got myself tested for diabetes when I was in high in college because I I was, like, so lightheaded and woozy and weird all the time. Um, and it turns out that I was drinking too much water because I was at high altitude. yeah And I kept getting kind of woozy and being like, oh, I need to drink more water. And it turns out I was kind of constantly low on electrolytes because I was drinking so much water. And I kept – every time I felt sick, I drank more water. So I was just making it worse because I – it just didn't occur to me that salt was the problem or food was the problem. So, okay. Going down my list. Cause we do, we need to wrap up here. Yes. Um, we try to keep this at an hour and we're already over. I'm so sorry, everyone. Um, next I've got space blankets. Um, I keep a water filter. I do this same Sawyer one as yeah. you do. And I, that means I carry the bag with me as well. Um, it will slot right onto a smart water filter, but I just carry the bag. Um, yeah. Cause I have, I, um, I call it a Possible's pouch. I just have like a, like a six inch by six inch um, little packing cube that carries all of these things. So I can really easily just grab that and throw it from one bag bag to the other. And I'm never forgetting anything. I'm never like standing in front of my camping gear being like, what do I need to bring? Like, I just, I I grab that. Um, Then I've got a knife. Um, uh, Paracord Um, can be used for leashes, can be used for all sorts of really, really useful things. Um, Duct tape, um dog booties and then I have a spot locator beacon um which I really like I used it a lot when I was in the Yukon and the Northwest Territories last year so that I could message my parents and let them know that I was safe and send them my GPS locations every night cuz I went like 6 or 8 days without cell service um basically in between Whitehorse and Inuvik there was like no cell service um and I wanted my parents to know that I hadn't yet been eaten by a grizzly.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's um... I probably should carry a GPS. Um, I also something that every backpack should have is a real compass, a real
0: one. Um, yes, not yeah.
1: not not like and one know the, how to use
0: it. Yes, um.
1: take an orienteering class. <laughs> Just yeah, most um, fishing game BLM. One of those people in your area will be giving those classes. Um, they're they're cheap to free to attend because again they don't want to go get you. Um, they, there's also, we have an orienteering club here. We have mounted orienteering, which you do on your horse and then just orienteering and they'll train you to use a map and a compass, but you should always have a hard copy map of wherever you're going. I don't care if you've got it on your GPS. I don't care if you've got it on your phone, keep a hard copy. It doesn't have to be a super detailed map, but something that will be, a, you will be able to refer to if you get disoriented, um, and a compass and a compass that you know how to use. Yes. And a real one, just invest in a real one. You don't, they're not that expensive, they're not, but those yeah. like some of the more modern backpacks come with like one of the little tiny compasses attached to the strapping. That's not good enough. Get a real yeah. compass, yeah. <laughs> just a real one, keep it in your backpack. Yeah. And that's something that just lives there and it never comes out of my backpack, my compass and never comes out. Um, maps, I obviously change out based on where I'm going. But yeah, I have like, I have like a pouch like you do, just like a couple of pouches of like, this is the, you know, emergency water supply. Here's my, you know, first aid kit for the backpack. And then I have a much larger first aid kit um, that's in my Jeep too. So when we get back to the car, we can really address some things. And then here's my, you know, snacks. Um, And that gets replenished as I need to, you know, like granola bars. Yeah, I like the want.
0: um the hydration um powder and uh, goo. I try to I try to make sure I eat those once a year. Yeah. So like when I know they've been in there, you know, it's kind of like my last hike of the year. It's like, "Oh, I'm going to have my salted caramel goo just because." Yeah. So then I get a new one um cuz I had for a while. I had like a 5-year-old shot blocks in my uh in my first aid kit and I did end up eating one um and kind of needing it on a hike. And it was like gluing my mouth together. And I was like, I am going to break a tooth on this. Yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> like, I've done that
0: with um, the shot blocks, yeah. Yeah, they really – and they, they're they kind of a bummer in the cold. Um, so as a cross-country skier, I learned to like – I would kind of stuff it down my sports bra for like 30 minutes before I ate it. Um, I but yeah, so the nice. only other thing I have that um, I keep in the car is trazodone gabapentin. You know, yeah. my car is my house, so I also have – I mean, literally everything I own is there, but as far as kind of things that I would move into a field vehicle to have ready to go, um, you know, spare water, spare food, some of those sorts of things. But the other thing that I don't carry on me already, that might be a little bit special is I carry Traz and Gaba, um in the car. Yep.
1: yep. I do too. I have it in my, I have a much larger first aid kit that has, you know, more extensive bandages, Um, you know, and things like that also has a uh, suture kit in it. Um, I'm not going to try to. Oh yeah. I have a
0: sewing Um, kit in in my possibles pouch. So that's always in my backpack. Um, Um,
1: these are proper suture kits. So it's designed to like stitch dogs and humans back together. Yeah. I don't have a suture
0: kit yet, but,
1: um, I do have sewing. Just because if we're having to travel back to the vehicle, the chances are really good. We're going to be moving too much to really keep stitches in place anyways, Um, And I do, I carry gabapentin and trazodone to sedate the animal when we get back um, so that the car ride is a little less terrifying. Um, I also keep on my backpack a trekking pole, at least one. Um, Nine times out of 10, I don't use it for balance, um, but I do like having it when I'm in snake country because I can extend it fully and it can poke under bushes before I need to be anywhere near it.
0: Um, Nice. There's
1: something under there. Yeah. Well, the only other
0: thing I wrote down that I'm not sure I mentioned was pen and paper, like right in the rain paper. Yeah. Um, really yeah. nice if you need to leave something somewhere. I also usually have like a bandana or something, which can also be used. Um, I use that a lot in surveys. If I see a change of behavior for my dog and I want to be able to drop something so that I can go back to my transect, that's the main way I use it. That way I don't have to mess around with my, uh, my GPS too much. I can just walk back to my bandana bandana to get back on transect. but all of those like visibility sorts of things. Ooh, I have a mirror and a whistle. Yes. Just Continue thinking of things. Well,
1: I don't even think about the whistle because most modern genuine hiking backpacks have a whistle on the yeah. strapping anymore. And that's usually, um, good enough. I think I have a whistle that goes, this is a part of like an emergency, um, just an emergency fire kit that I've got that's got like my fire, my little space blankets, um, you know, and it's got a whistle in there and some strike anywhere matches. I usually, like you, I usually carry flint and steel plus a, a lighter. Um, yeah. Fire. I, the and, the and other thing that just,
0: got we're just, we just keep thinking of things. Um I keep those little fire starting cube blocks.
1: <laughs> yep. Um, from stuff. REI.
0: they yeah, at least so one of them.
1: There's yeah. so They make life so much easier.
0: Um, oh I usually God. try to keep at
1: least one of the... That is definitely something that you want to double check and make sure it hasn't disintegrated in your backpack if you just leave it in there
0: forever. Yeah. You can um, make your own with wax and dryer lint if you really want, but like I just buy them.
1: Yeah, I buy them. It's Because um, most of my dryer lint is dog hair, and that smells absolutely terrible gross. when you light it on fire. Um. Yeah. So that's... Yeah. I also carry paracord. I usually... I have a paracord wrap that also has fishing line and... A hook in it, so if I unravel it, I also have a way to go fishing. I'm a vegetarian; I don't even like fish, but in I'm, in the event that I, okay, yeah, you know. I am stuck somewhere and I'm really hungry, it's nice to have. Plus, fishing line is actually a useful material to
0: keep super around. useful. You can use
1: it yeah. for a lot of stuff and duct tape and everything. You always carry duct tape. Um, I typically carry my duct tape wrapped around my bear spray, so I take I take a stretch of it and i wrap it around the bear spray off of the roll so i'm not carrying a big roll of it around um so I've got yeah a- i have it wrapped around a pencil yeah so there's there's ticket, some so. duct tape i can take with me and you know i'm already going to be carrying yeah. bear spray and crap so um but yeah it's it's important to have um ways to deal with things um yeah it's funny because there's so much stuff in my backpack that i don't even remember is there until I'm like looking at it because it just lives there um so pack your bag pack your backpack and just leave it packed with the things unless you've got to take it out like a it's perishable of some kind just leave it packed I also carry a spare leash um always have a spare leash of some kind um just in case something breaks um so I have a backup plan but you can use paracord for that if you're yeah I just use the
0: paracord Um, yeah yeah. I mean, I think that's a pretty good list. I'm sure we've forgotten a couple of things, but you know, it's, it's, so much of it is area dependent as well. Like there are some things that I may or may not carry kind of depending on where I'm going. Like I obviously don't always have the anti venin with me. Um, but if I'm in a really high risk area, like I left it in the car when we were in California cause we were never yeah. too, too far from the car. Yeah. And, um, we were also kind of close enough to an emergency vet that, it was like, well uh, uh, it, it'll be okay if we don't, if we just have to go to the vet, but in Guatemala, it was like, yes, this is always in our bag. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, it's, so. it's really area dependent and it's, and it's seasonally dependent. Um, you know, up here during rut, which is mating season, uh, you know, we're a little bit more cognizant of certain things like, elk and deer coming in, in, in contact with those and, and, you know, during the dead of summer, I don't worry about it as much because they're very unlikely right. to engage with the animal, you know, come anywhere near us. But, you know, sometimes um, those bull elk in particular can be quite dangerous at that time. Yeah. Um, you know, it depends on what you're going to do and what you're going to face. Um, obviously, I don't carry a down jacket when I'm hiking in the middle of summer um, or backpacking yep. in the middle of summer because that's just overkill. Um, but I do carry a spare down jacket stuffed into inside its own little pocket at the bottom of my bag when I am snowshoeing in the winter. Yeah. Even though, you know, I carry an extra one of those. I, I actually carry an extra down blanket too. Um, cause that'll fit me and at least one of the dogs curled up underneath of it, if not both of them. Um, you know, so it depends on what you're going to do. Obviously I'm much more cognizant of carrying a extra water for myself and the dogs if i'm in an area where water resources are going to be limited if i am hiking along a river i'm a little bit less worried about it
0: um yeah definitely. you know if
1: i'm out there if i'm in if, um, here the timber rattler doesn't typically cross above 5,500 feet so also that's another thing like when you're hiking and backpacking or spending a lot of time in the wilderness with your animals know what your wildlife does. Here we have timber rattlers, but they don't like to be up higher than about 5,500 feet of elevation. So once you're up way up in the mountains, they become less of a concern, right? They're just not something I'm that worried about, but other things do become a concern. Um, We're very lucky. We only have the one venomous snake here, but other things become a bigger concern. Bears become a, a bigger concern, coyotes, certain areas around here, we actually have wolf populations. And those can be a concern at certain times a year because they don't enjoy other predators, aka dogs, walking through their territory. I've never had a problem with them ever in all of my years. Um, but they're something to be aware of, you know. Uh, so be aware of black bear and grizzly bear behavior, that there are certain times a year they're going to be a lot more problematic if you encounter them. Um, we just got, we just, I just posted on my Facebook page, actually coyote was watching us the other day. We were out just in the desert, very close to town. Um, realistically, we weren't very far out. We were just kind of hiking through the desert and there was a coyote watching us from afar. Um, they can be difficult with dogs. They can be problematic. They can cause harm. Um, they can hurt your dog, particularly depending on the size of your dog. Um, you know, or just really make your life very difficult. <laughs> so you know, know what you're gonna face, and pack your backpack, and just make sure all your emergency stuff just stays there forever, and you just don't take it out. Like that's how I make sure I'm always prepared. I just don't remove things
0: unless yeah, I have to. Yeah, I try at the beginning of every field deployment or season. Yeah. To pull it all out and double check it all as well and like yeah. see if it's horribly expired or if it's gotten wet and now it's ruined or
1: you know yeah. anything
0: like that. I don't do that every time, I probably technically should, but I don't. Um, so
1: yeah, I don't do it yeah. every time, do but you- yeah. Then-
0: Do you permethrin your clothes? Um, Is there anything else that you think of as far as, you know, like. Um,
1: I do that with the dog's clothes and my, um, I spray DEET on myself on my own clothes. So I'm apparently worried about skin cancer, but other types don't bother me. That's how much I don't like ticks. Um, But I, I spray DEET on my own clothes, but for my dogs, I use permethrin. I prefer the Sawyer brand. Um, I just trust Sawyer a lot and they have a, it's a really nice spray bottle. So you just like pump it, spray it. And I soak their harnesses, their backpacks, things like that, um, to protect them. They also, um, take Brevecto. And then when I know I'm headed into an area of heavy tick, um, there's certain areas where it's going to be more yeah. of a problem a day or so before I will actually put a Soresto collar on them as well. Um, I've had really good luck with that. I don't like to leave it on them because I'm just a little bit weird about topicals and I don't want my cat coming in contact with my cats coming in contact with it. But I do about a day or so before put that on and they wear it while we're out there. And then I take them off and I wrap them up and throw them in the freezer um, because they'll last for forever that way. But I usually about, I would say every two weeks spray their harnesses down and i definitely if i'm taking out their backpacks and i haven't used um they have different size backpacks depending on what we're doing if i haven't used this particular set in a while i spray it down i let it dry you can do that with a bandana as well um on the dogs you can spray the permithrian on the bandana let it dry tie it on their necks and rock and roll and it works like a Ceresto collar it's pretty handy yeah. actually yep yeah yeah, yeah i'm really excited know-
0: for getting a tick yeah. We're looking for some vets to do a tick um tick borne disease. I've I've messaged like five and none of them have gotten back to me about um doing a tick borne um episode because you know, as anyone who heard I think well, I don't know how many episodes ago it will have been by the time this episode comes out. But Barley had or yeah, and anoplasmosis and it was scary as heck.
1: I um, yeah, we had one come down with tick borne uh tick paralysis. Ugh, um,
0: that's what we thought it was at first. Um
1: And it was it was so scary because it was just like like that quick, he was totally fine. And then he couldn't walk and it was absolutely terrifying. So we're rushing to the, it was one of my foster dogs. So it wasn't even my dog, you know, technically. And we're rushing to, uh, the emergency clinic going like, what is going on? And then I found a tick on him and I was like, Oh no, you know? And so we got him there and we started pulling ticks and within an hour he was a hundred percent fine, but it was really scary. That's crazy.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Well, yeah.
1: It's not just dogs that get tick-borne diseases. Y'all.
0: Mm-hmm. One of my <laughs> best friends has Lyme and it ruined her life for a long yeah. time.
1: Yeah. yeah. It's a nasty one. Um, I just had a client who's doing the AT. Um, she's through hiking the AT and she had contacted me and we were working together to prep her and her dog for the the journey. And the dog made it about half of the way, which is more than most dogs do um, for anyone who's listening for that through hiking like the App- appalachian trail or the pacific crest trail your dog 90 percent of the dogs that start it can't finish it um it's just it's too much but her dog made it about halfway um but she actually they had a big scare with Lyme, and that was when she yeah. pulled her dog because the ticks were so bad and she had tested positive too so it was her and the dog were going through the treatment and i she was just like what should i do and i was just like well know the choice is yours but i think your dog's behavior is indicating that she's a little overwhelmed by this prospect of hiking every day sounds like heaven um on the outside but you know when you're three months into a journey and your dog you've been hiking 10 to 12 miles every day that's a lot for dogs yeah
0: i've got a friend hiking the continental divide trail right now and she's doing um 20 to 25 miles every single day right now like That is a lot to ask a dog to do. So that's, and that's not the topic today. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just going, I mean, Barley had a permethrin treated um, visibility vest and was on Brevecto and we were pulling 30 ticks off of him two to three times a day in Guatemala. You know, it was every single time we stopped, I was stopping and pulling ticks off of him. Like, even with all of that, it was not enough. And, you know, so (laughs) we can guess about where he picked up Erlichian anaplasmosis. Um,
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's
0: really... Even, I mean, these ticks were not on him for more than a couple hours. In most cases, there were a couple times where I found one in the morning or something where I clearly had missed it overnight. Um, But yeah, I mean, we're going into some places where even with pretty solid tick prevention, it is just a really intense, um, a really intense environment. And, you know, part of, I was just talking to someone about my next dog and someone was suggesting, uh, someone suggest Shelties and someone suggest Belgian Tavurins. And both of them, I was like, nope. Too much hair. Too much I, hair.
1: I feel that. I had an Afghan hound that I fostered for like six months and I shaved him naked. And everybody's like, why did you shave him? And I was like, because I got tired of pulling nature out of his hair. Like I'm just yeah. no, like his, his forever family can let that grow back. But he's going to be he was he was naked. He looked like a very strange poodle. Um, <laughs> yeah that is a
0: weird <laughs> it's a dog.
1: weird look without all that fluff yeah and on the subject of ticks um word to the wise pull your ticks don't back them out you're going to hear all the stories about oh put vaseline on them put uh nail polish on them use a lighter on them and ba- don't just don't yank them yank them when they back out they actually re- it's gross. They regurge and it increases the likelihood of disease transfer. Yeah. So,
0: and I was just listening okay. to Ologies, which is one of my favorite podcasts, just had a two-parter on ticks. And they said, you know, people worry about getting the mouth parts and getting everything. They actually, the tick experts on this show said that's actually not as much of a concern. Just get them out. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: It, they, you probably I've do want to
0: eventually them. make sure you get that out so it doesn't get infected. Keep an eye on it. But they said it, the more important thing is getting it off. And getting it out than trying to wait until you um, are able to do it perfectly. And every hour they're on, it increases the likelihood of transmission. So, okay, we do have to wrap up now. Pine, thank you so much. Where can people find you on the internet if they're interested in Um, learning more about you and your services?
1: uh, You can find me on Facebook for Irwin Dog Training slash Constant Canine Consulting. You can find me on Instagram at hikerhund, that's H-I-K-E-R-H-U-N-D. Um, that is probably the best place to follow along my shenanigans with my, um, little feral res dog and at IrwinDogTraining.com. So
0: cool. Pretty easy. Yeah. And line. everyone at home. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone at home, you know where to find us. We're at canineconservationist.org. Um, we're actively redoing our website right now. So check it out. Um, and you may see some new things. You may not, I don't know when it's going live. Um, but you can find show notes, AI generated transcripts, all sorts of great stuff, all at canineconservationists.org. We'll be back next week. Bye. Bye.